Well, friends, we are uh, several weeks now into a series where we are walking through something called the Apostles' Creed. If you're just jumping into this with us, that's cool. The Apostles' Creed isn't something we made up. Uh, it's been around for a long, long time, so you can you can catch up with us. Uh, we've got some sermons on uh, YouTube and on our podcast that you can catch up to. But just for context, so we can kind of root where we are today in this series that we have been in, um, I just want to remind you that we, we feel like in Scripture that this is an invitation to us from Jesus in this season, uh, certainly, but, but this is an invitation that Jesus has been giving to us for a long time, to believe. Right? In fact, in, in John 14, this is where this series is rooted in, in the Word of God. Jesus says to us, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He goes on to say, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where you may be, so that where I am, you may be also. You know that, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. Now, just so that you can have this not only just rooted in Scripture, but you can have this rooted in the middle of the creed, so you know, uh, as we're talking about the Apostles' Creed, you know, what in the world is the Apostles' Creed, and what does it say, and why are we talking about it? Well, the Apostles' Creed is one of the very first statements of faith that the, the church, that the disciples of Jesus compiled together these statements, and they said, if you believe these things, then you're a Christian right? Then, then you're one of us. You join the family. You just need to agree to these things, these statements, and they called it the Apostles' Creed. And so uh, it's been around for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for all of the, the church history, really since around uh, somewhere around 300 AD, this thing was compiled by the leaders of the church. And so today, as we say, I believe in this series, these are the things that we are staking a claim on. We are saying these things I believe. Let me read to you the Apostles' Creed. At the end of our service today, we will pray this together. Uh, it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. All that stuff about Jesus right there, that's what we talked about last Sunday, right? This is where we're going to pick it up today. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to talk about today. And in the weeks to come, we'll talk about the rest. Uh, it goes on. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And we say amen. Amen is a word that at times means let it be. It's a, it's a word that means this is true. Let this be true in my life. And, and I declare that this is a true statement. So, so far we've talked about belief. What is belief? We talked about that. We talked about God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We talked about who Jesus is and what he did for us. Uh, in other words, we preached the gospel last Sunday. And today we are going to put our focus on the Holy Spirit. Now, my goal today, 
is to explain what we mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. If you've been joining us on the last few Wednesday nights, we've been in a series called Stranger Things. We've been talking about the spiritual side of our Christian faith. Some of this is going to sound a little bit familiar to you, but I propose to you that every single time that I preach about the Holy Spirit, something is dynamic and fresh, and I continue to learn even as I talk to you about how good it is that the Holy Spirit has been promised to us and gifted to us by Jesus himself. And so even if you've heard this sermon or a version of this sermon from us or from someone else talking about the Holy Spirit a thousand times, I just invite you to be receptive to what God would say to you fresh today. All right, so my friends who were at church a couple Wednesday nights ago and you're like, I just heard this sermon. Well, I tweaked it a little bit just for you, okay? But also, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's worth just stopping and listening to what God would want to say to us about this gift, this gift of himself. So my, my goal today is, like I said, I want to talk to you about what we mean when we say I believe in the Holy Spirit, but I want to do that in this framework. I want to answer three questions for you today. If I could answer three, three questions, uh, number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Number two, what do we mean when we say I believe in the Holy Spirit? And number three, what does the Holy Spirit do? What does he do? In other words, why? Why, do, why is it important for us to partner with the Holy Spirit when I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit? If I could answer those three questions for you today, I think I would have done my job. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm going to answer those questions in like an initial way, and I'll also know that I've done my job if you walk out of here with more questions about the Holy Spirit. The good news is that there's a book you can read that will help you to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's called the Bible. You probably own one already. So keep reading, keep coming back. We'll keep talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, but anyway, let's start with our first question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, simple statement. We've been talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit over the last several weeks. If we were to say who the Holy Spirit is, the first thing that we need to say is the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. Can you just look at your neighbor real quick and just get this out of the way so that you've said something true? If, you've not, if you haven't said anything else true today, this will be the first moment. Just say, the Holy Spirit is a person to your neighbor. The Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, this is incredibly important. I'll, I'll, I'll show you why this is really, really important today. But the Holy Spirit is a person. We also believe that he is the third person of the Trinity. That does not mean that he's the second loser of the Trinity or that he's third place among God. But when we say that, we mean that he is the, the third person submitted to the order of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are what we would call co-equal members of the Godhead which means that the Father is, is not the boss of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but we learned last week that Jesus willfully, out of love and wisdom, modeled for us what submission looks like, so he gladly submitted himself to the leadership and the authority and the voice of the Father to model what that should look like for us, right? If Jesus did it, God himself submitted to himself, then you should probably submit to God because you're not God, Right? And so he's the second person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity who Jesus sends to us. That's, the, that's why we call him the third person, because he's sent by the second person, who was sent by the first person, who is the Father. 
Okay, so some of the original language is, is what gets us in a bit of trouble, uh, and it can create some confusion if we don't study well. Uh, when we talk about spirit, in the Hebrew, the word is ruach, which means mind or spirit or wind, or sometimes it, it refers to the motion of air. And if you if you fast forward a little bit, Hebrew is usually the language of the Old Testament. Greek is the language of the New Testament. Uh, and in Greek, the word used for spirit is often the word pneuma, which means wind or breath or spirit, which is where we, we transliterate that word to mean spirit for us. Now, again, this kind of def definition can leave us with some interesting thoughts. Some people call him the Holy Ghost, right? Uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've thought about him like this. I think there's going to be a, a picture up there for you for what some people think of when they think of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's not him. Now, calling him the Holy Ghost actually makes us think of this next picture. Uh, sometimes we actually, uh, and there's an entire theology around this idea that the Holy Ghost is actually like the force ghost of Jesus. And I know that almost sounds like a joke, but there are people who would actually want you to believe that the Holy Spirit of God didn't exist until after Jesus died, and then Jesus, who died, just became the Holy Spirit. So their theology actually says that the resurrected Christ is the Spirit of God. And I just proposed to you, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you right now, that's what we call heresy. Because that means that the Holy Spirit is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is God, but Jesus is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right, so, so uh, the Holy Spirit is not the ghost of Jesus, and that, that's why, um, despite, despite the fact that I just don't like the word ghost, uh, I think it's actually problematic theologically. So if, if you were raised to refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, I'm not going to tell you to stop doing that. Um, but I will just invite you to think about what we're communicating. We're not communicating correctly if we're saying the Holy Spirit is a ghost. He's not a ghost. He's the Spirit of God. Okay? All right. Now, many of us actually aren't sure what the Holy Spirit's job is. We'll talk about that today. But some of us actually come up with silly ideas, like we say things to young people who are dating, this phrase, leave some room for the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that phrase? Which if, if you're told to leave some room for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who doesn't have a physical body, that's not a lot of space. Right? Leave some room for like 20 Bibles. But I don't know about the Holy Spirit. Okay. All right, so let's move on to that. Uh, now, others, other people claim to have the Holy Spirit, but when you examine their Instagram account, it doesn't actually look like they have the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> and then other people think that having the Holy Spirit is the thing that makes them a super Christian, or I wasn't really serious about God. I was kind of just dating Jesus, and then I got the Holy Spirit, and then everything got serious in my life, Right? And, and I know we're, we're laughing about this stuff, but, like, this is some of the ways we talk about the Holy Spirit. This is the way we treat the Holy Spirit. Like, he's just kind of like the secondhand God. Or, like, we don't really want to talk about the ghost of Jesus. That's creepy. Or we go, yeah, I'm a real Christian because I've got the Holy Spirit. And then we judge all the people who aren't spirit-filled. Right? It's just problematic either way. And we just propose to you that we should read the Bible. And I said that, and Pastor Mark in the back went, huh. <laughs> so as we, as we study the Word of God, 
And we, and we lean on the wisdom of those that have gone before us who had sound doctrine and good theology. We can, we can come up with a definition for the Holy Spirit. So our definition of the Holy Spirit, it's a little bit long, but when we talk about the Holy Spirit here at Life Church, uh, we say this. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is a real person with intellect, emotion, and will who shares equally in all of the divine attributes of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is 100% God, just as much as the Father is and just as much as the Son. Yes? Now, the Bible is full of evidence that the Holy Spirit is a distinct individual while also being 100% God. The Holy Spirit has always been a present partner with the Father and with the Son. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, we see that the Holy Spirit was there at work in the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Holy Spirit was there when Jesus launched his public ministry with water baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, it says, after Jesus' baptism, he came up out of the water. The heavens were opened. I would love to have seen that. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice came from heaven and said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, this, by the way, this moment in Scripture is also a phenomenal evidence for the Trinity, for the Father, the Father, the voice speaking from heaven, the Son, Jesus, who came, the incarnate God, who came to uh, save us from our sin, and the Holy Spirit in this moment in the form of a dove coming and landing on the shoulder of Christ. Uh, Actually, it doesn't say shoulder, does it? Maybe it was his head. I don't know. I always just think shoulder like a pirate, but maybe it was his head. Uh, it's funny the things that we interject into scripture. Is it was it here? Was it here? Maybe he went like this. And it now I'm wondering. I don't. I got to move on with my sermon, but that's really distracting me now. I can't wait to watch the movie. Um, okay, so the Holy Spirit is also here in this moment. He's working right now. He's been working in your life personally since you became a follower of Jesus. We call you a Christian or a disciple, a follower of the way of Christ. Uh, There's all kinds of different terms. But when you put your faith into Jesus, the Holy Spirit was involved in that moment. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? Last week I told you something that we have to believe that if, if, if Jesus is coming back one day, then that means that he's currently not here right now. It, it, scripture actually tells us that when he ascended to heaven, that he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he's there, it says, making intercession, praying for the church until he comes back. That does not mean that God is not here. Jesus actually taught us that it's good that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about God being present with us right now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. But when you became a Christian, you became like the temple, the dwelling place, the house of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you as a Christian. And then he's also sent by Jesus to anoint his disciples with power for ministry. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, and I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city uh, until the Holy Spirit comes and 
fills you with power from heaven. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8, every Pentecostal's favorite verse. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is not just some ethereal idea about God. He's not, the, he's not just like the, the ghost of God. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is God himself, and and he is not a badge of spiritual maturity. He is the one who dwells in and empowers the follower of Jesus so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. So that we can make disciples. So that we can do the things that God has told us to do. And we don't just do that in weakness. We do it in power. The power of God himself. Filling, covering the life of the Spirit-filled believer. So that's a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is, and that gets us towards our second question. Our second question of the day is, what does it mean when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit? Now, the Apostles' Creed talks about belief, but, but as we study the Creed, we understand that, that the original writers of this and, and God himself doesn't want us to just have the right convictions or opinions. When we say believe, we're talking about the kind of belief that takes action, right? Like when we talk about faith, we know that faith is active, that you don't actually have faith because you have the right opinion about God, but because your belief about God has made you live in a certain way, right? I, I know I've shared this illustration with you recently, but when you sat on your chair today, that was an act of faith. You believed that the chair was going to hold you up. So you sat down in the chair, and that was your action of faith. Right? And thank God that you put faith in a firm foundation. See what I did there? Okay, so what does it mean when we say that we believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, it means that we do something about that. It's not enough that we just say, yes, I believe that there is a Holy Spirit and that he is God. We have to do something in response to that. We do not simply hold a conviction that Jesus is Lord. We submit our lives to his lordship, and he gets to lead our lives. In the same way, we do not simply say that the Holy Spirit is God. We submit our lives to his baptism, and that should change something about our lives. So our belief absolutely shapes our behavior. Now think again about those last two scriptures that we read. Luke 24, verse 49. I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. He tells us something important here. Stay in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. God is absolutely committed to the Great Commission, to, to us going and making disciples. Right? Like There wasn't a single moment in, in Jesus' ministry where he's like, uh, you know... I think we should just narrow it down. Like seven days a week is a lot of disciple making. Let's just narrow it down to like one day. It's a lot. I know you guys are busy. Like let's just only make disciples on Sundays. Sundays? Sundays good for everybody? Cool. Check your calendars. Okay, cool. Sundays. We'll, we'll call that the Lord's Day. We'll make disciples on that one day. No, he wants us to make disciples every single day. Right? You understand that Jesus died for the purpose of disciple making. He rose from the dead. Jesus overthrew the power of death itself for the purpose of disciple making. Jesus is all about discipleship. He's that much about discipleship. And in Luke 24, 49, we see Luke records, Jesus said to the disciples, don't go yet. That's, that should stand out to you. 
Jesus said, wait, hold your horses, don't go yet, until what? Until you receive the Holy Spirit. Right? Belief should do something. The first thing that it should do for us, as we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, it it should drive us to a culture of waiting on the Lord. Are we waiting on the Lord? Do you know how the disciples responded to the, the challenge to wait on the Lord? They got into a room together and they prayed. Guys, the, 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 the thing that God is calling us to is to pray. We want the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Are you praying? Yeah, I pray. I, I, I pray once a week on Sundays when you tell me to. I'll confess to you, that's how I prayed for most of my Christian life. I'll pray, I'll pray when my pastor tells me to pray. I'll pray or I'll pray around the dinner table. That's same, and that's a beautiful prayer, by the way. You should pray around the dinner table, and you should pray when your pastor tells you to. Absolutely. But get in a room with some people who are hungry for the presence of God, for the Holy Spirit to move in their lives, and put action to your belief in the Holy Spirit and pray. So that you can do the thing that God has told you to do. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, listen to it again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. You will be witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Can I just say to you, and I'll probably say this to you again at some point today, the Holy Spirit is not just your superpower. The Holy Spirit is the empowerment so that you can fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus is referring to this thing that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit in both of these moments as we are told to wait and to receive the Holy Spirit. So we would break this up like this. Salvation is the Spirit of God filling your life with God's presence. So salvation gives you the presence of God. Holy, the Holy Spirit baptism gives you the power of God. So to believe in the Holy Spirit means to be filled by and partner with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus actually uh, took the baptism of the Holy Spirit so seriously that he says, don't do anything in my name until you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's, I mean, that's pretty incredible. How many Christians walk around and they go, "Ah, I don't want the Holy Spirit. The ghost is weird. But I'll pray in his name. I'll tell people about the gospel of Jesus. What are we even doing? Telling people that they can go and minister without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it. Whew, I got so excited about that. I'm running out of time already. This is wild. You have lunch plans. Let's see what we can, uh, else, that what else we can answer. Okay, so here's, here's another important thing that you have to understand. These disciples were absolutely followers of Jesus before they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You understand this? These people have put their faith in Christ. Now, as in, in our, we're a part of the Foursquare denomination. We're celebrating 100 years of history this year. That's so exciting. Um, and in our Foursquare denomination, we have a distinction in the way that we talk about the, the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit baptism is a second event after salvation. And we find that in multiple places in Scripture where people have already put their faith in Christ, and then later there is a gift a baptism of the Holy Spirit. This happens multiple times. Paul encounters some dudes, and he's like, whose baptism were you baptized in? We're like, we're just baptized. It's pretty awesome just to be baptized. And he's like, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they go, didn't even know there was one of those. What is that? And he goes, not what, who? Let's talk about it. And he lays hands on them, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there's other moments where there's an entire household, Cornelius' house. Peter comes and he preaches the gospel to them, and it says they put their faith in Christ, and they believed, and then he keeps on preaching. And as he is preaching, the Holy Spirit moves, and all of them were filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So people who have already placed their faith in Christ then receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe this is a separate event. Now, just for the record, I have seen moments where people put their faith in Christ and immediately receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I I know other people who have walked with Christ for years and then come and say, I I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I have just now learned what that is. And then they pray and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can see a marked difference in the way they walk with Christ afterwards. Proving that this was not just some empty prayer. Something changed. And that something was you were filled in a new way, anointed, baptized by the Holy Spirit. So just believing in Jesus is not enough to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul proves that. These people were believers. And they were later baptized. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So to believe in the Holy Spirit is to hold a conviction that the Holy Spirit is 100% God. And also to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and live as an empowered minister of the word to the world. Which then leads us to the the last question of the day, which is what in the world does the Holy Spirit actually do? Like what changes about the life of a believer once you are filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you four. There are other things, but I'm going to tell you four, and I'm going to run through these as quickly as I possibly can, but each of these are incredibly important. The first thing that we would say that the Holy Spirit does, if we would say his role or his job in the church, the first thing that that we would say the Holy Spirit does is he gives gifts to the believer. Paul explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Say common good. That means not just your own good. That means the good of the community. Okay? Uh, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Notice how Paul is making sure you understand you're not doing this on your own. This is a supernatural gifting. It's by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit. To another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing bes- between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and another interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills wills. Now, these are what are known by biblical scholars as the manifestation gifts. We we call this kind of an umbrella term, spiritual gifts, which if you want to know more about that, come on Wednesday nights for our series called Stranger Things, because like this week, we're going to start, we're talking about uh, the the gifts of the Spirit in some significant ways. Now, uh, there is another passage of scripture called, uh, that's Romans 12, that that, uh, unpacks what are called the motivational gifts. So there's the manifestation gifts, which are the nine that I read to you there in 1 Corinthians 12. Then Romans 12 lists what's called the motivational gifts. These are prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, and mercy. And then Ephesians chapter 4 lists five gifts that Jesus gives to the church. uh, And that these are gifts that we see are also spiritual in nature, but have a lot to do with the way we function in the world and minister in the church. And those, maybe you've heard of these as the fivefold gifts or or maybe the APEST gifts, which is not a real word, but it is an acronym. And that is because these five gifts are apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, APEST, or five-fold gifts. Uh, It is our belief that every healthy church has 
these five gifts functioning in them and that you actually have those gifts and that you're exercising them. And as my friend Kristen, who taught so well on these fivefold gifts on this last Wednesday night, as she said, the question is not, are you using your gifts at all? The question is, whose kingdom are you building with the gifts Jesus has already given you? That's actually the question of the, of the fivefold gifts that God has given you, which does make them a little bit distinct from the Romans 12 and the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts. Those two sets of gifts you can actually only exercise or, or function in if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the, dis- the distinction there? Okay, good. Now, uh, I want you to notice what Paul says back up to 1 Corinthians 12. Remember what he said. The purpose of the spiritual gifts is for one purpose, so that we can help each other. Or as it says in the CSB, which I read to you a moment ago, for the common good. The New Living Way translation says that one. So that we can help each other. And then another thing that Paul uh, wants us to understand is that that's actually why the Spirit gives gifts to people as he sees fit. So to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, is to say, I believe that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the church. And the reason he does that is so that we can help each other. So Jesus has told us that the Holy Spirit is coming to give us power so that we can preach the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples. Paul says he's not disagreeing. He's adding nuance to what Jesus has said. We now also see that we receive gifts from the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He gives us gifts so that we can help each other, minister to one another. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, he gives us gifts as we see fit. Again, this does not mean that you are the superhero of the church. This means that you are gifted by the submission of your life to the baptism and the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit gives you the invitation to partner with His work through your life to the world. Because you don't get to just decide, well, today I'm going to function in the gift of prophecy. Did you hear that, Holy Spirit? Just for, just for the record, I say this, and I'm trying to say this increasingly often so we can really drill down on this and get this into our minds and understand the importance of this, that when we tell God to obey our will, that's called witchcraft. Func- functioning as a minister of the gospel of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit requires submission to his will. Because he gives gifts as he sees fit, not as he hears us demand. So it's very important. We are very Pentecostal in this church, but we do not make demands of God because this is not Hogwarts. I'm not telling you not to watch Harry Potter. I'm just saying don't bring it to life, church. Right? Ask your mom if you should watch Harry Potter. You can have that conversation with her. Or ask the Holy Spirit. None of you thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> you're all like, should I be convicted of my sins right now? Do I have to repent of my Netflix queue? I don't know. T- talk to Jesus about that. <laughs> here's why, here's why this is actually really, really important. Um, I don't know. I, and I, I'm saying this. I genuinely don't know. I'm not convinced one way or the other. Some days I feel one way. Some days I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I don't know if, as a spirit-filled believer, you actually will, in your lifetime, function in all the gifts. 
There's, there's a teaching that says that, well, if you're spirit-filled, that, that you have a toolbox. You can imagine that God has given you a toolbox, and in that toolbox are all the spiritual gifts. And when you see a need, you can go, God, I, I, I use me to meet that need. And that if that's the will of the Lord, that he would gift you to be able to use that. As, as if, like, you know, prophecy is the hammer of the kingdom and, 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 you know, tongues is like the nail gun of the kingdom. And sometimes you need a nail gun and sometimes you need a hammer. And you've got both of those and it's just whichever one you need in that moment, the Holy Spirit will decide if you need that and he'll give you the ability to do that. And I don't actually know that that is true. I don't know. Because I don't see in that verse that the Holy Spirit says, uh, and don't expect to be able to use all these gifts. Just know that some of you will get them and others, tough luck. I don't see that in there, but I do see community in there, and I think that's what gets me to the other side of the conversation, because I, I really actually think that sometimes I have a gift of prophecy, and, and then my using the gift around a friend makes me the gift. Does this make sense? And, then, and that my friend didn't have a gift of prophecy makes them a person who has a need. And so God sent a gift to them in the form of a person who had a gift. Marcus, come here. We just got to put some flesh on this. We want to make sure that we understand this. Marcus actually has the gift of prophecy. So he doesn't like it when I do this. I don't care. Um, okay, so Marcus has a gift of prophecy. Now, uh, this means that more often than not, if you get in a room to pray with Marcus, he's going to have a prophetic word. Don't get scared. He has never once called me out for my sin. And I've been in the room with him many times. And I've been a human every single time, which means I had sin every single time that I have either dealt with or been dealing with. Just like being a human, you know, one of you with sin. And he never once has been like, the Lord said to call Pastor Tim out on his sin. Never, because the Lord loves me. So don't get scared to hang out with Marcus. <laughs> but I will, rem I do remember a time we were at Camp Cedarcrest up in Big Bear, and Marcus came up to me and he goes, do you know I'm coming with you? And I went, cool, where are we going? <laughs> and he goes, I'm coming with you. When you, when you do the thing you're going to do, I'm coming with you. And I said, what thing? And he said, you know what I'm talking about. When you plant a church, I'm coming with you. Now, what, what, what the Lord had told Marcus, which I did not tell Marcus, was that we were making plans to plant a church. This conversation happened in February of 2011. In May of 2011, Life Church was born. And in February of 2011 at Big Bear, God told Marcus, you're going with Tim when he plants a church. And I had not told Marcus yet. Okay, so what that means is that Marcus was functioning in the gift of prophecy, right? When Marcus is around me, I usually don't prophesy as much because Marcus is the gift in my life of prophecy. Do you see how that works? Okay, so when Marcus and I are close, prophecy often happens through him. To me or to others, you, some of you have been the, the benefactor of that gift, right? Now, when Marcus and I are not close, like there was a camp that I was at in Big Bear, and Marcus didn't go with me, and I was, and you probably should have come, but he wasn't there. And I just actually heard, this camp happened like eight years ago, and, and a person 
that I was just spending some time with said to me, do you know that we've met before? And I said, no, I don't remember this. Uh, I thought we had just met just now. He goes, no, no, we met up at Camp Cedarcrest in Big Bear like eight years ago. And I said, I'm so sorry, I don't remember. He's like, it's totally fine. You were actually in ministry mode, but you called me out and gave me a prophetic word in front of everybody. And I said, I'm so sorry. He goes, no, it's good. I'm actually living in it right now. He goes, you told me I was going to be a senior pastor, and I was a youth pastor at the moment. You said, God's going to have you lead a church. You're going to be a senior pastor. And in the moment, I went, no thanks. But now, I'm a senior pastor. He pastors Sunland Foursquare Church. Like right now, he's living in that prophetic word. You know what's crazy is that that guy, that, that guy was, at a, I was at a pastor's retreat, and there was another pastor there, and he said, my son was at that camp, and you prophesied over him, and he's currently living in that prophecy. See what happens when Marcus isn't around? <laughs> Are you following what I just said? When, when, the pro, when the guy who's like a primary gifting that he walks in is prophecy, I don't need to prophesy that much. But when I go up to a camp where there's people who need to hear a word from the Lord and the Holy Spirit goes, Marcus is a long way away. Tim, are you listening? Yes, Lord, I'm listening. What do you want to say? Here's a prophetic word. Say it. So I'm, I'm not like primarily a prophet. Marcus is primarily a prophet. And yet I prophesy when the Holy Spirit wants me to prophesy. Do you see how I'm either gifted the gift or I'm gifted the gift? Do you see how that works? Okay, Marcus, you can sit down now. Thank you, my friend. Love you so much. You're so awesome. Why is this important? Because everything in God's kingdom bends around relationship. Everything bends around relationship, right? I get in relationship with God and the Holy Spirit so I can receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I get in relationship with people who have the gifts of the Holy Spirit so I can receive the gift that I need, even if that's not a gift that I function in primarily. Or I'm outside ministering on my own and I'm in front of another person and there's relationship happening there and God wants to use my relationship with him to, to benefit the relationship of the person I'm speaking with. Everything is bendable around relationship and God will say, well, I know this isn't a gift you normally function in, but prophesy in the name of the Lord. And that's just one example. But there's a lot of gifts it's a big kingdom we get to live in. Everything bends around relationship. Now, if you just had all of the gifts, if you had all of them, you just function easily in all of them all the time, you wouldn't need friends. And so, so it, is, it is actually, I think, it's actually not logical for God to just say, you just get all the gifts whenever you want. Because you need friends. You need community. You need church. You need people who do things you don't do. This is the whole design. This is why Jesus calls it a body. Paul goes deep into that idea. It's a body. We need each other. Okay, so again, the debate that goes on. Does the Holy Spirit give each person one gift or a mix of gifts? or Does anybody have all the gifts? The answer is, yeah, probably yes. The answer to all of those is just yes. As the Lord sees fit. So we submit to him. And we submit to each other and we come with our gifts to be a gift to each other in every moment. So the Holy Spirit's job is to give us gifts. 
Okay, the Holy Spirit works wonders, right? We'll, we'll just fly right through this one. Some of the gifts that he gives are incredibly, like, right now kind of miracle moments. Like, like prophecy is a wonder. When Marcus prophesies or in the moments where I've given a prophetic word to somebody, God works wonders in, in my life and through my life to others. I've laid hands on sick people, and they have been healed. That's God working a wonder through my life. Some of you have experienced that, receiving healing or laying hands on somebody and seeing them healed or seeing a miracle where you say, God, I just have faith right now that this thing is going to happen and, it, and, and God does what he told you he was going to do. In Romans chapter 15, Paul says, I have fully presented the gospel by means of two things. He says in verse 19, people were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Paul says, it wasn't just my preaching. It was my message was good. I was preaching the gospel. But it was miraculous signs and wonders enabled by the Holy Spirit that helped him to preach the full gospel. You understand, we're not actually engaging the full gospel of Jesus if we don't demonstrate the power of that gospel. But miracles require us to be spirit-led and spirit-filled people. And Jesus agrees. In Mark chapter 16, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and this is what it will look like. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Yes, amen. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Then he goes, these are the signs that will fall. I mean, listen to this. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's incredible. Miracles of all kinds follow the life of the Spirit-filled believer. That's you. And all of these, we call these wonders, by the way, called signs and wonders because they're meant to make us Uh, wonder and be in wonder and awe of God and point like a sign does back to Jesus. Amen? Now as we move on to the third thing that that God does, I I just want to clarify this one point here. It is important that we understand that you have never done a miracle. You have never done a miracle. God does miracles through the Spirit-filled believer. You get to be a vessel, a conduit, if you will, a person through whom God's power is demonstrated. You have never done a miracle. I have never done a miracle. God has done many, 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 he's done all the actual miracles. Right? So this is why, again, it's about partnership with God. The third thing that we say that the Holy Spirit does, he teaches the believer. In fact, in John chapter 14, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you, but when the Father sends the Advocate, which is another name for Holy Spirit, as my representative... He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is such a good teacher. He goes on to say this in John 16. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you only what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. So the Holy Spirit is such a good teacher that he can tell us about things that for us haven't even happened yet. If you have ever read the Bible and like, oh, I understand it now. That was the work of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. You can only understand anything about God's kingdom because of the Holy Spirit. 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is a teacher. He knows and he's able to tell us about the future as well as the present and as well as explaining the Word of God. By the way, uh, that being able to tell us about the future, we call that prophecy. Which leads us to the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does, which is that the Holy Spirit speaks through the believer. In Luke chapter 12, Luke says this about the work of the Holy Spirit. When you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will, here's that word again, teach you at the right time what needs to be said. This is a function of the Holy Spirit speaking through us, giving us words of wisdom for what we should say. Words of wisdom, by the way, is the is a title of one of those 1 Corinthians chapter 12 spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit will give us words to speak when we are in moments of persecution. Now, this happens by function of something that we call prophecy, which we talked about a few minutes ago, or something that we call the gift of tongues, which I will not take a lot of time to explain to you right now, uh, but just by, by what we mean by tongues when we talk about that is that it is essentially a supernatural ability to pray or speak in a human language that is not learned by the speaker. We see that in Acts chapter 2. When you are, uh, these people were praising God and all of the crowd heard them speaking in their own native language. And another function of the gift of tongues is that it is the willful partnership of the spirit-filled believer where the speaker surrenders the meaning of the spoken words to the Holy Spirit for the purpose of prayer or prophecy. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I will pray in the spirit. I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I also will sing in words that I understand. So Paul says, he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says, if you're ever speaking in tongues in public or like in a church setting, there must be an interpretation. Because God is not the author of confusion. He wants us to understand what is being said in public. So we are either, as we are praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues, we are either praying directly to God or we are prophesying to the people that, that are hearing us, Right? I heard during worship today some people, I was doing it myself, I was speaking in tongues, I was praying in the Spirit directly to God. It was not for you to hear. And there's been moments in this church where somebody has called out loud for everyone to hear, and there's a distinction in the moment that I'm just like overhearing somebody else's prayer, or somebody is speaking to the church. And in this church, we have a rule that if that ever happens where somebody calls out in tongues for the whole church to hear, we wait there must be an interpretation. Otherwise, I've got to take that person out to lunch and tell them you should not have done that. Right? Because we take that very seriously. Because that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 14. He tells us that the gift of tongues, we either pray directly to God, or if it is in public, it must have an interpretation. So we can see that there are multiple functions of the gift of tongues, just like there are multiple functions of the gift of prophecy and multiple different ways that God heals people. The point of all of this is that the Holy Spirit speaks through us to other people, and sometimes directly to God. I, just for sake of clarity, I, I, I do also want to make sure that you understand that um, the best way that I have been able to understand how tongues works as I am in prayer is the game of Scrabble. And forgive me if this is a silly illustration, but I find it to be helpful. Do you know that there are 26 letters in, it's 26, right, in the English language? 26 letters in the English language? Okay, good. All right. I have a doctorate in spiritual formation, not how many letters there are in the English language. Um, 
although that was embarrassing. Um, there are 26 letters in the English language, and as I am speaking English to you now, I am infusing the meaning of my will into the words that I'm choosing, right? I'm deciding what I want to say. I'm using those 26 letters. I'm creating words and sentences and paragraphs. All of that is creating ideas, and you're catching the meaning because I'm choosing what meaning to convey to you. Now, when I play the game of Scrabble, just imagine you take 26 letters, you just kind of mix them out, out on a table, and you just make whatever sound that is, right? And then you say, God, I want you to infuse the meaning. I want you to become the meaning maker of my prayer language. And then God will do that. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. I wish that I could take another 45 minutes and explain speaking in tongues to you because I, f I find it to be so incredibly life-giving as a practice in my prayer life. But like most of my prayers recently, because the world that we live in is so confusing, have just been in the Spirit because I usually don't know what to pray. Because <laughs> y'all are wild. Humans. So I, I wish I could spend more time, but, but essentially this. There are moments where the Holy Spirit will give you a prophetic utterance and you will pray in a language you do not understand and God will give the meaning through by the function of the gift of interpretation to the church. And there are other moments, typically in my private prayer life or sometimes on the front row during worship, where I am speaking a heavenly language, but it is God infusing the meaning and not me. And that takes childlike faith. Like faith like a little kid who, when you say to your little kid, jump, they just jump, right? So this takes me to like disentangle all of my, I have a doctorate and a master's and a bachelor's degree and I graduate high school and I'm 38 years old and I've been living in a world that makes a, a certain degree of sense. It, it, it requires me to disentangle all of that and just go, God, you told me to do it. I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to jump. I wish I could take so much more time than I just did. But I will say this one final thing about tongues. There has never been a genuine expression of the gift of tongues ever where the Holy Spirit forced the mouth of the speaker to speak. This is one of the most significantly important distinctions of the gift of tongues. The Holy Spirit is not a demon who possesses you and forces you to do things against your will. He is a partner. He is God himself who will only function through your life at the level of your faith and partnership. Right? So if anyone's ever told you, oh, God just took over my tongue and now I'm now I cannot control my mouth. I, I genuinely mean this with all sincerity. At the next thing out of their mouth, you need to ask them, is Jesus your Savior? Because if they tell you that something is controlling my physical body, and I do not have control of it, and they say that is God, I would propose to you that they have problematic theology. And that they are either not actually a Christian and demon-possessed in the most extreme cases, or most likely, very sad, but most likely, they actually are controlling their own mouth, but they have been told some bad theology, and they actually are just wrapped up in emotionalism and think that the Holy Spirit is making them do something that they're actually doing themselves. That's a lot, it's very easy to, to disentangle that with some good teaching. It's actually a lot easier to get a demon out of a person 
than to disentangle some de- bad teaching. Like the demon out of a person is just the name of Jesus be gone. Okay, that's actually a lot easier for Jesus to handle. But, but it's very, very important that we understand. The Holy Spirit does not take over your mouth. He infuses meaning into it. Read, read what Paul says about Ro- in, in Romans about the, the prayer uh, of tongues in Romans chapter 8. Um, as he says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. This does not say he takes over. This does not say he takes over our mouth. It's that he infuses the meaning of the words as we pray in the Spirit. But again, that takes childlike faith. Friends, to say I believe in the Holy Spirit obviously means a great deal. It means a lot. It means we have the ability to do what Jesus has told us to do. That's that's incredibly profound. When we say I believe in the Holy Spirit, we don't just mean we have the right convictions about him. It means that we willingly seek to partner with him, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be empowered to minister powerfully in the name of Jesus. And one final thing that it would be important to ask would be, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You just trust me that I've done the Bible study on this. I won't unpack all of this for just for sake of time. You can buy me lunch and I'll do that for you. Um, everything through Scripture says that the Holy Spirit comes simply. The Holy Spirit comes as people are hearing the gospel preached to them and learning about the Holy Spirit and preaching. That was Cornelius' house, right? The Holy Spirit comes as spirit-filled people lay hands on people who want to receive the Holy Spirit. Paul did that, Right? The Holy Spirit sometimes comes on a group of people as they're praying. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he sees fit, and he seems to come how he sees fit with one prerequisite requirement, that you have faith in Jesus and are willing to receive the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the common thread. Faith in Christ, the desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is no magic formula. There are no special words you need to say. A person must only be saved and be ready and believing to receive. And having believed and asked, you have received. I mean, I genuinely mean it. It is as simple as that. It's so simple that I think some of you are filled with the Holy Spirit and don't even realize it. (laughs) Because I watch your life. And some of you have just been living just saved. And God says, it is time for my church to be filled with my presence and power. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to end this gathering like this. I am going to lead you in a moment where we are going to say the Apostles' Creed together as a statement of faith. And I invite you to say, when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, to say that with an understanding of what exactly that means. And you might, like me, as I say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, be saying that with a thankful heart. God, thank you that I am filled with your Holy Spirit. Or you might, like I was once, say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but God, I I want that. And so today, after we pray the Apostles' Creed together, I'm going to pray a very simple blessing over you, and then I'm going to invite you to come right up here to the front and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if that is you. 
It, and it is simple as you just come and ask. And I only say to come to the front because there seems to be something about coming to the front that God is doing that is special. That God came so far for you, you could come a little way for him. Right? And so I'm going to invite actually my prayer uh, friends, our, our prayer team, if you would come right up here to the front and just be ready to stand here and pray with folks. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, if you could come um, and, and just be ready to pray. And then as they are coming, would you stand with me if you're able? And we are going to pray the, Lord, uh, the, the creed together, uh, the Apostles' Creed together. Uh, and then as we are done, I'll pray a blessing. And then you just simply come, and these friends of ours are going to be here to pray with you. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or if you want to come and go, I've got 17 questions about what Tim just said. Awesome. These are brilliant people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. No pressure, guys. No, we, you, guys, you guys got it. Will you join me uh, right here on the screen as we say the creed out loud together as a declaration of faith and also as a prayer that these things would be ever more true in our lives. Let's declare this creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, I pray this blessing over you very simply. May you in every area of your life be filled with the presence of God. May you receive power from the Holy Spirit. May you receive the gifts of the Spirit. May you minister the good news about Jesus by signs and wonders. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.